census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman. On this week's show, we are going to talk about the return of Keontae Johnson, Florida's All-SEC forward. Uh, returns for his junior year as broke on Florida Basketball Hour. Um, and we will talk about the impact that will have on Florida. Speculation as to Andrew Nimard. Take some listener questions. And then we'll talk about the uh, Elite Eight and beyond of the... Uh, best Gators men's basketball player tournament that we've been running on Twitter at Florida BB Hour. So get into that a little bit. Uh, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com will join me. Remember to shoot over to iTunes, give us a rating, um, leave a review. They help in terms of sponsorship and, and things like that. So uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, give us a heart on Spotify. We're available on almost any platform. All right, everybody. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, um, it's all coming up roses in the middle of COVID for the Gators basketball program. Keontae Johnson uh, announces that he will return for his junior year. A bit of a surprise? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say so. I, I, I've, of course, now been wrong on both uh, both Scotty Lewis and now uh, now Keontae Johnson accounts. So, uh uh, but hey, I'm I'm super happy to be wrong here because I think this this is uh, this is obviously just so massive for the Gators. I mean, getting uh, getting Scotty Lewis back that's uh, that that was wonderful for sure. But uh, I, I really think that, and I f- feel like you'd echo the same that getting Keontae Johnson back is uh, is is much much bigger even, and uh, it's going to be exciting to have uh, to have a player like that uh, returning and. Uh, yeah, I, I will say that I'm uh, I, I'm surprised he's uh, he's coming back. I'm surprised he didn't go through the process and uh, uh, like you know if he was going to come back, I maybe would have expected uh, he enters his name in the draft. I, I know this is a very atypical off season, uh, but uh, go through that process a little bit and then then announce his intentions. But uh, hey, it's pretty uh, pretty wonderful to hear about it now. Yeah, I mean, I, I a little surprised that that uh, you know he didn't go through the process, but I guess. It's always possible that, that he got some information, um, you know, or trusted the information he got from Florida staff or for any or any of those those things. You know, there's always ways to to access that, and, and maybe a lot of people were telling him what we were starting to read uh, towards the time of the announcement, which is that, you know, he's a guy that that very well could end up being a first round draft pick. Uh, I, I honestly think if he would have went this year, just looking at some of the names that that have already kind of dropped out, uh, looking at the talent and and just looking at the fact that uh, uh, without without some of the uh, typical combine workouts, uh, without some of those kind of standard draft processes in place, I, I wouldn't have been surprised if he would have snuck into the first round this year. And there's a couple of draft people that uh, that had that being the case as well. But uh, I, I think next year, even with a more talented uh, draft class. I, I, I think if he continues to make the the upward trajectory he's been on, uh, first round is not out of the question for him, and uh, that means a good payday. Yeah, it really does, and 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 I think he's a guy whose game 
you know, I think at worst, the way that he plays, Eric, he's not really likely to take a step back, right? Like it's more of, you know, I think at a minimum, he's going to replicate the production he had this season, which was very good. 14 points, seven rebounds a game, nearly two assists a game. Uh, among the top 10 in the SEC in field goal percentage at 54.4%, which is, again, I think we've talked about it on the show, but that's a really good mark when you consider that, you know, I don't know if he's a high-volume three-point shooter, but but he certainly took two and a half a game. So, you know, he took enough to where that would impact your overall field goal percentage, and he still shot 38% from beyond the arc with the new arc. Uh, so... You know, I don't know. I mean, I think that he's he's likely to replicate the production he had and, and you know, still with room to get better next year. Yeah, it is tough to imagine him taking it much of a step back just because uh, a lot of his game has, uh, well, one, been fairly consistent. Like, this wasn't like he was uh, not very good as a freshman and then just, you know, exploded on the scene as a sophomore. He had a really good freshman season and then, you know, took another step. But he, he still was really good as a freshman. And a lot of his game is is about uh, the fact that he's so athletic, that he can show great body control, that he knows how to read a defender closing out and, and making a play. Uh, and then he's shot the ball pretty consistently throughout his career. Like, I, I obviously, again, he got better this year, uh, but his, his percentages have been pretty consistent. And you look at his his shooting performances and uh, they are fairly consistent. It's not like he was, you know, six for seven, some games and oh for eight in others. He was a consistent shooter. So uh, it, it is tough for him to, or it's tough to imagine him doing anything that would hurt his draft stock. But yeah, if he goes from being a, a, a second round pick to a, to a first round pick, that's a lot of money. Uh, and that's a lot of term on, or well, it's, you know, it's another extra year, which is pretty big on your, uh, for guaranteed money. And uh, yeah, just, uh, Definitely the uh, the sky's looking for him now because uh, I, I think that uh, there's definitely – I really do think there'd be a lot of teams interested in him. And uh, I think if he just proves he can be uh, this consistent performer, uh, it's going to make him pretty sought after in the draft. Yeah, he set uh, – didn't set – I was going to say set a record. It's not true. He had um, nine double-doubles for Florida, which uh, was the most for any singular Gators player um, since Maurice Spates – uh, registered the same number um, in his sophomore season. Um, and, you know, what really strikes you, and, and a point Matt, Matt Norlander made as well as Eric, uh, Matt Norlander CBS, is that it is his consistency which really impressed. You know, Keontae kind of started the season a little slow other than kind of a big game against Florida State. But as soon as the Gators got to Charleston, he really took off and and – you know, one thing that's fascinating, if you just look at his, his stat lines, and it's something that if you listen to us during the year, you know that, that I brought up a few times. But after, after Florida arrived in Charleston, so starting with the St. Joseph's game, uh, Keontae was only in single figures five times uh, in terms of scoring. Florida's record in those games was one and four, uh, Eric. They, they win only the Auburn game when he was in single-digit scoring. But it, it's just really remarkable that in SEC play, uh, of course, you know, he only he only gets held to single digits three times. Uh, the Gators go one and two in those games. They beat Auburn. That was the game where he had early foul trouble and kind of never really got in sync, but ended up uh, playing a lot in the second half and, and playing pretty good defense and, and kind of helping by passing the ball. But, but yeah, I mean, uh, just really a dominant and consistent player in, in SEC play. That's how you end up being first team all SEC when – 
you know, way back when in, in October, I, I remember having a show with Eric and saying, I almost put him second team SEC, but I couldn't pull the trigger. And of course the godfather, Blake Lovell wins because he was one of the guys who voted uh, Keontae preseason all SEC. Yeah. I should have known he would have had the beat on it. Uh, he's uh, he's the man, <laughs> but uh uh, I think that, uh, you know, I, I, this is another time for me to point out that I was also wrong because I do remember last year during the season that I thought Jante Johnson was going to be a two and done. Of course, this now means yeah. that I'm wrong. <laughs> so uh, I've not fared, uh, fared particularly well in the, uh, in the prediction game of, uh, <laughs> of, uh, of, you know, draft decisions, but uh, Hey, I will uh, look forward to being wrong uh, in some future times. Hopefully if it means talent returning to Florida, because, uh, yeah, I obviously think it's uh, it's really big. But is there, uh, I guess, like, uh, you know, I could say, how, bi- how big do you think this is for Florida, Neil? And, uh, you know, that would be kind of a simple question. But, like, what, what specifically uh, do you think uh, – what are some specific areas of the game that you think just make a huge difference having Keontae Johnson uh, versus not? So, I mean, I, I agreed with, with John Rothstein's take that it makes Florida – immediately one of the most athletic teams in the sec returning which you know that's something two years ago we would have kind of laughed at at the thought that florida could do that that quickly with their roster right um because florida really had a pretty significant athleticism deficit uh in the middle years under under mike white particularly you know it's, it's one thing that you know Kavarius has covered up all manner of sins and as we talked about defensively and like his athleticism offset the fact that there wasn't much around him. Um, and so now Florida has, you know, sort of a, a roster with, with two really special type wings that, that can, uh, that, that, you know, it's more consistent with modern basketball. And then they're going to add a guy. I think that we both agree is, is going to make an impact. It's just his minutes may have been impacted by Johnson's return. We'll get into that. But with, with Samson Rusensev coming in, you get a third. And then, oh, by the way, there's an all-conference player who is basically just a bigger wing uh, in, the, in the Dorian Finney-Smith type mold uh, in Anthony Derucci. So really athletic at the forward spot and really deep at it. Yeah, I, I think that uh, especially with that athleticism, I think of the fact that Florida has not been a good defensive rebounding team over the last few years. And Keontae Johnson is one of the impactful defensive <laughs> rebounders. And uh, Kerry Blackshear was, you know, the best uh, defensive rebounder on the team. And Ke- uh, Keontae Johnson was the second best defensive rebounder. So uh, you had the chance to lose both of those guys from a team that wasn't great at defensively rebounding the basketball. Uh, so having him back there is, is huge. And, uh, you know, like I, I'm a big Samson Rusensev fan. Uh, but, uh, you know, one of the, the gripes throughout the, uh, uh, let's call it the Florida basketball hour era, these last two seasons uh, or last few seasons was just the fact that uh, Florida was not very deep on the wings. And uh, there, if Johnson were to have left, uh, I do think that there's, there was the opportunity that Florida was still, uh, still a little weak on the wings or, you know, relying a lot on freshmen to, yeah. to contribute, which could have had, could have worked, but uh, it's certainly nice to, to not have to rely on, on freshmen. And uh, that's something that I think is going to be now that we know that, uh, that Lewis and Johnson are back is that we know that Florida is not going to be super reliant on their freshmen next year. And that's, uh, you know, we know two years ago when they were starting three freshmen, they're very reliant. 
Uh, we know last year they were really banking on, you know, Scotty Lewis and Trey Mann uh, really performing and, and Omar Payne as well. Uh, well, and even, well, all their freshmen ended up playing, uh, playing some kind of role where they were relied upon. And uh, you look towards next season and it's uh, uh, anything that the freshmen give is, is likely going to be gravy because uh, they're going to be kind of, yeah, they're going to be relying on returning players to college basketball. And uh, that's, uh, you look at recent history, that's how you win. Yeah, it's it's always been a formula in Florida. We've talked about it on the show that, that the best Florida teams have been get old, stay old, um, with the exception of the first year of the O4s. And even they had, you know, Lee Humphrey, who was a three-year starter. Um, Florida, <clears throat> the only three-year starter last season was Kerry Blackshear, who was a transfer. I think a lot of people, myself included, Eric, got – caught up in the in the idea that Florida was returning three freshmen who started and and it's true that you know old is kind of relative in college basketball now like you can be old as sophomores but what I point out is I felt like Florida was playing their best basketball when when COVID hit and and so I think that Florida was kind of getting old and this is a chance to build on that with Keontae coming back because you know now at a minimum you're you're returning at least one of your or two of your guys, two of your sophomores will become juniors and, and three year starters, assuming Noah Locke starts. If Noah Locke doesn't start, he's still a third year player who's going to play significantly. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, you lose Kerry Blackshear, but for the first time in a while with adding guys like Darugia and Appleby, you're really talking about a seasoned team. And, and as you pointed out, Eric, it's kind of anything you get from Rutensev and beyond him. Uh, Niels Lane would be the one I would think has the chance to play. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen with Osiah Sifo. Um, yeah, I mean, any of that's just a bonus. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like, uh, you know, number that's obviously been referenced lots for Florida, and uh, understandably so, because it's interesting <laughs> is that they were 347th in the country in experience last year. Uh, yeah. according to Ken Palm. So, so to try to like, you know, I'm not really sure. It's, it's tough to predict like where they will get in that metric. And it's not like you, there's a certain benchmark that you want to hit in the Ken Palm experience metric. Uh, but you certainly, you know, ideally don't want to be in the three forties. Uh, that's for sure. <laughs> even, I, I mean, you even see with, uh, uh, look at Memphis with their recruiting class and, and relying on young players. I mean, it's, it's tough to do. And every once in a while, there's, there's going to be a team that really relies on, uh, the best of the best uh, of recruits and, uh, and they are young and effective, but yeah, just you look at, uh, you look at recent history and that's just not the way that things kind of go. And uh, right. like, uh, like I think about like, you know, Kansas was, was pretty young this year, but, uh, but not in the like 300s young. Uh, I, I would guess they're in the like 150 to 200 range. Uh, and I mean, that's, uh, but you look at other than that, Gonzaga, Baylor, uh, Dayton, like those are the next, yeah, I'm just looking at Ken, uh, in order of Ken Palm ranking uh, some older teams. And I, I, I do think that uh, this is something that uh, something that Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander on the CBS sports podcast always talk about, about how it's the teams that have like fringy NBA talent that comes back. Uh, and that those are the teams that are usually successful. So that's kind of what I look at. You know, Kazabuki and Devon Dodson. And I look at, uh, Killian Tilly and even like Joel Yahi, uh, he was someone as a freshman who had hype. That's not as much. Sure. Uh, you, you know, like as much as like, uh, Obi Toppin, like uh, really burst on the scene and I, no one would have expected this. He's a guy who likely would have been 
on an NBA roster if you went to the draft after last season, uh, which I know some people like really view it as like this, like this guy exploded out of nowhere. Like, well, he was definitely on, you know, teams radars before last season. I can promise you that no one expected this league, but anyways, uh, he was a guy that could have left and came back. And I, I just think you look at the last few years, those are the teams that are really successful. And um, I, I, I wrote about this and put it on Twitter and, uh, at Gator Country, uh, people hated that I wrote this and said this and put it on Twitter. Uh, but I pointed out that on Bart Torvik, uh, <laughs> that with Keontae Johnson returning, uh, with everyone returning, but you know, especially with uh, with Keontae Johnson returning, the the Gators are going to be in the. Uh, we still have to wait on Andrew Nemhart, but depending on if he returns or not, they're going to be somewhere between five or fifth and ninth in Bart Torvik's rankings uh, going into next season. And of course. A lot of uh, a lot of fans of or on Gator Country were like, "We are so done with expectations. We don't want to hear this. Preseason rankings don't matter." Um, I do understand where that's coming from, and I understand why yeah. uh, people would say, "Like, why do we even have preseason rankings?" But I will say, last season when Florida was ranked really high by the AP vo- poll voters, it was uh, you know it was buying into the hype. Which sometimes the hype, I- I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Sometimes hype is correct, uh, but a lot of it was like hey, these are freshmen and we think these freshmen are going to produce in this way uh, or this transfer from another league is going to produce in this way. Uh, but you kind of didn't know fully for sure. And uh, a lot of the times it was really, uh, it was just the hype that people were, were voting based off. Whereas you look at this Bart Torvik ranking, uh, they have floor. This is exclusively statistically based and it's not banking on what are freshmen going to be. It's, hey, what are these returning players? And uh, it's even funny because as those Bart Torvik rankings say, uh, they don't expect much from Tyree Appleby and they don't expect much from Anthony Deruji, Uh yet they still think Florida is going to be really, really good. So I, I just think that I will give that kind of like difference of this isn't like, you know, hype what uh, the, a little bit of mystery box. What are these players going to be? This is uh, this is based off of, you know, returning talent. So uh, I really do think that this team is going to be very good. And I think that it oh, and I was going to point out as well, Bartorvik before last season had Florida as the 19th best team going into the season. So they really seem to have a, a little bit more of a beat on what Florida was going to be versus people like myself that had them in the top five or uh, whatever they were in the AP fold to start the season. I think six. Now I suddenly forget, um, but I know they were hot. Uh, so I think that you, when you see that like, Hey, Bartormick last year kind of knew a little bit more of what Florida was going to be in the preseason, even though uh, not everyone else did. And now that same ranking that was fairly accurate in saying what Florida was going to be like has them as uh, you know the fifth team of all of these. If Andrew Nemhart joins Keontae Johnson and uh, and Scotty Lewis returning, so uh, yeah, I just think like people are going to say like like Florida is going to have a lot of hype, and some people are going to hate it. But I do think that the hype is warranted. Yeah, no, I mean they're going to have a lot of expectations, and I want to get into the other side of those expectations in a moment. But but you you know you bringing up uh, Killian Tilly kind of made me reminded me of something else which is that that fringe nba talent point is it can work a bunch of different ways but i thought the best gonzaga team you know if you look at them on paper if you look at their experience number which was 114 i think the best gonzaga team eric i I should have said that at the beginning i think their best team was was the 2017 team that made the final four and made the national title game and lost to uh, unc i think that was mark few's best team that team uh you know, some salty veterans like Nigel Williams-Goss, uh, President Karnowski, Jonathan Williams, Jordan Matthews, you know, Silas Melson. I mean, they, they had a bunch of guys that were older that had played a ton of basketball, but then they added Zach Collins and they added Killian Tilly, right? And like, so 
they're underclassmen were these fringe NBA or pure NBA players. And then, you know, they bolstered them with these guys who were kind of these rugged, solid vets that were really good college basketball players. And that's kind of Florida's formula next year, especially if Andrew Nimar comes back. Yeah. And then Rui, uh, Rui Hachimura didn't even get on the floor for that team. Uh, that's so good. They were. So, yeah. He was pretty yeah. good. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, obviously all eyes are on, are on Andrew Nemhart. Um, uh, I think that he was obviously the guy that people most expected to return out of the three. So when the other two return, I, I think that has people feeling pretty good. Um, I will say that I had the other two leaving and, and Andrew Nemhart staying and I'm over two. So, you know, maybe I'll, uh, you're going to be one for three, baby. <laughs> let's hope, let's hope, let's, uh, that I can save it. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, it really is exciting times because I think Andrew Nimard is, is huge for the basketball team. I do think that they'd be much better with him uh, in, in the lineup than, than not in the lineup, obviously. Uh, but right. I also feel like if they were to lose Nimard, uh, they still have, they, I, I still think they're in good shape. And I think that's a good place to be versus, uh, like, I mean, again, Bart Torvik <laughs> going from fifth with, uh, with Keontae Johnson returning to 17th without him. Uh, that's a huge drop off that they were to have yeah. lost him, and I uh, and you know that's a you know that's a metric uh, that would absolutely match my eye test or what I'm thinking as as well. I mean, it would be a little tougher to know exactly what Florida would be, but I, I still feel like we know what Florida is going to be regardless of if if Nemhart comes back or not. But I do think he's going to come back, and uh, that's going to have me super excited if that's the case. So I had a split, and I wanted to ask you this before we dive into listener questions because this is fun. And you guys know that that Eric, uh, if, if you listen to the show, you know Eric did some consulting work with with a program this year, and and you know that that uh, we're both in coaching, and and one of my friends is a staff analyst for for Calipari. So if you've ever wanted to know the real inside secret as to why Neil is also soft on Cal, um, you know I got a I got a buddy <laughs> in coaching that works that works for him. So and just says he's a great boss, by the way. Um, but but I asked him. Okay, you guys lost everyone pretty much, uh, and I'm sure that you'll put it all together and no one's going to cry for you. Who's the favorite in the SEC? And he said Tennessee. So then I asked the godfather, uh, Blake Lovell, who the favorite was in the SEC, and Blake said, if Andrew Nimar comes back, it's Florida. Where do you stand? Uh, well, there's definitely an argument for, for Tennessee, just looking at uh, looking at their recruiting class and – uh, there are so <laughs> right. I certainly understand that answer, and there's there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I, if everyone returns, I, you know, again, I've just referenced Bart Torvik's site a billion times. This uh, yeah. podcast brought to you by, but uh, I, they would have Florida as the favorites. Checks in the mail, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, and once again, um, it's like both teams are going to be very talented. <clears throat> this is, of course, with the assumption that Nemart's back, even if he's not. Florida's still very talented, but it's for if Nemart comes back. Um, Florida is going to be very talented and Tennessee is going to be extremely talented. Uh, Tennessee talent, a lot of it is freshmen versus Florida. A lot of it is established returning talent. Uh, give me established right. returning talent over freshman talent. So, uh, you know, call me a homer, but uh, uh, yeah, I don't think there's anything, uh, anything in, in modern or, you know, recent history in college basketball that would suggest you, uh, you want to take uh, young talent over experienced talent. So I'll take the experienced talent. And I, I just think, um, you, you look at, like you look at Florida last season. Uh, they were on the wrong side of the uh, the wrong side of you know history, I guess. When you look at uh, at teams that were really reliant on five star freshmen, uh, luckily it looks like the five stars are going to be back and and can still kind of right the ship here. But Florida did show last year that 
um, if you're really relying on five-star talent, it's not always going to work out for you in, in year one. So uh, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen to Tennessee, but that chance is, is, is going to be there. Uh, whereas I feel like because Florida is more experienced, their, their, their floor is going to be higher than the floor of Tennessee. So yeah, give me Florida. Yeah. And you know, we just went 23 minutes without mentioning Trey Mann. <laughs> Yeah, can, can you imagine if he just announced? <laughs> oh, I don't even want to joke about this. Can you imagine he's just like he's just like, like to if... enter the draft. It's uh, uh, with no no intention to return. I signing with an agent. Yeah, and and he's not doing that. He's he's coming back, but 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 it's uh it's just funny that like there's a McDonald's All American that is on Florida's roster and nobody's even thinking about because of all the stuff they have coming back and what they have coming in. It's pretty interesting to me that. The Trey's just kind of sleeping there when, when he started to show some signs late in the year of, of, of what he's capable of. What I will say before we dive into listener questions, and I promise we're actually going to dive into them after this point, is that a second consecutive season of heightened preseason expectations, this time with really uh, you know a ton of merit. Not that they didn't have merit last year, but but a more experienced team than the one that you know, a less flawed team, uh, at least on paper and in, in your mind than the one from last year. Um, you know, less athleticism deficits, more experience, more scores, more guys that can attack the rim, more wings. Uh, you know, Mike White's got to deliver. Mike White's got to deliver. I don't think that's a hot take. Yeah, no, I, I don't think so as well. I mean, uh, I, something you mentioned, I, yeah, I'll, I'm going to ask you a question after, actually. Uh, I'm going to kick off listening to questions from, from listener Eric Fawcett for you. But, uh, uh, I mean, you mentioned <laughs> Calipari, and I think that, you know, we've seen, and, and even White made reference to it, that uh, it's not easy to, to coach young teams with, uh, even if they have a lot of talent. So it's something that Calipari does really well. It's something he's going to have to do next year. We could talk about that sometime. They're getting gutted right now. Uh, but shout out to, you know, Obi Toppin's brother, yeah. who was a five-point-a-game scorer in the, uh, the Atlantic 10, who might come save the day. But, uh, uh, yeah, so <laughs> it is hard to, uh, to coach young players. And uh, so I know that a lot of people really didn't like the, how things went and, and put a lot of the blame on Mike White last year. Uh, maybe it's a little bit unfair, but, yeah, if he ends up having a lot of those same guys returning and, and things don't go uh, swimmingly next year, uh, there is going to be uh, – right now, you know, there is a, a large amount of the fan base that's, uh, that is upset. Um, that's going to definitely grow a lot bigger. And, and once again – uh, I know expectations have, have been and, and preseason hype were something that that White really didn't like last year. Uh, I, I'm genuinely really interested to see how he handles it this year. If he changes his tune at all towards things like that, um, or if it's kind of the same uh, the same attitude he took to uh, to talking about expectations last year, uh, I'm really interested to see it. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, I you know, I, look, I I had been you know, kind of back and forth with some people at Saturday down South about it for, for a piece I'm doing next week. Um, you know, and, and cause I was asked to kind of talk about expectations again and talk about managing those expectations. And really, I think if you have that kind of talent, you got to win 25 games or so, maybe more, but, but 25 seems pretty fair. If you win 25, then you're competing for a league title. You're competing for, for a top 16 seed, which is kind of, what the standard is now with the geographical protect, right, Eric? And, and um, 
you know, then you're, you know, I, I just think they need to win something too, whether it's, whether it's an SEC championship, whether it's an SEC tournament, um, given their depth, they will be a really actually kind of an ideal type tournament team and, and the tournaments in Tampa. So, you know, perfect storm, right. Um, but, but then they need to hang a banner of some sort. It'll be, it'll be White's sixth season, uh, and easily be his deepest team. Um, you know, we could debate the talent, probably his most talented team. Uh, certainly I, I would argue it is, uh, because we haven't talked about guys like Trey Mann much. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, one thing was interesting, Eric, was Mike White talking about how he wished he had discussed expectations more, right? Like he went on, uh, Gator Tales podcast and, and talked to Chris Harry and, and said, you know, it, you know, one thing I wish I had done was sat guys down and said, this is how good people think you are. And like, will he approach it like that now? You know, cause he's going to have a top 10 team. If Andrew comes back, will, will he sit them down and be like, look, you guys are ranked number nine. Like, you know, is that, do you want to finish there? Do you want to be better? I, I think, I think it'll be interesting to see how he approaches. Yeah. I, I, it's definitely a lot of coaches are, are, are still have that kind of same mindset that he had before last season. I was like, it was something that, that White said a lot of times last year about um, about multiple topics, to be honest, that he doesn't read what people say. Uh, and, and that's a common sentiment <laughs> from coaches and whether or not it's true. Um, I, I just think in, in the, the way that modern players are, I, I just don't know if that's the – I don't even want to say it's the – I don't, want to, I don't want to suggest it's the wrong approach. I, I just wonder if there's, there's a better way. And it's just interesting. Like um, I had some time last year to spend, uh, spend some time around Canadian women's national team who, who work out and, and train in, in Edmonton where I live. And, and uh, it's just interesting because they were a top 10 team before the world basketball championships for women. And uh, they were all about, you, you know, they, they were, they always talked about, Hey, we're number seven in the country. Um, what do you think the number six, number five, number four teams in the country are doing right now? Do you think they're uh, dripping in sweat right now? Uh, and they were talking, they talked to by name, they talked about Turkey and, and China and these teams are like, do you think that they're, they're taking it easy or, or maybe they did a walkthrough and watching film today, or do you think they're dripping in sweat? Like what does a top 10 uh, team look like? And they, they talked about it very directly like that. And, uh, spent some time with the, the spent some time with Canada's national volleyball team, the men's team, and again they're a top five team. And they were they they almost said the something verbatim. They said, "Hey, what do you think Brazil's doing right now? What do you think that their training looks like?" And some players said, uh, "You know, like hey, they're probably there was the, he referenced this box jumping workout that volleyball players do. I wasn't super aware." And and they they made references to that and they just talked about like, "Hey, what does it look like to be uh, you know this top ten for the women? It was top five for this men's volleyball team." And they talked about, "Hey, what is, what does it look?" Like, and it was just interesting because none of them none of them shied away from it and when i look at um kind of the uh, the programs that just dominate their respective sports like the yankees uh what i barcelona and it was something i looked at because i was i was intrigued after i heard the, the women talking about this uh and i just looked at some of the the best kind of teams that are the the regular powerhouses in their sport in their league and it, it was just interesting they they always seem to uh, they never shy away from expectations and to suggest that the Gators are Barcelona or the Yankees. I mean, that would be, that would be naive. I think their talent is great. I don't think they should be just running through everyone, uh, but it is just interesting to see that a lot of these programs that are traditionally the best programs at their sports, uh, they don't really run from expectations. And 
uh, I'm, I don't want to say Florida ran from expectations. <clears throat> that sounds really bad, but um, yeah, it's just, it's a different way of approaching it than the, the, the typical, Hey, we don't care what people say. We don't care what they write. And I'll just, uh, yeah, I will be interested in, like you mentioned, that was a really interesting interview with, with that Chris Harry did with, with white. And I'll be, uh, I'll just, yeah, I'll be really interested to see what they talk about this year. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Uh, the one anecdote I could add is that, you know, the one really world-class team I get to spend time with is the U S women's national team. And, and with them in, in Ren in France before the world cup started last summer, uh, you know, it was, it was really fascinating the way that, you know, there was just kind of this insularity us against the world thing. And you're like, how could it be us <laughs> against the world? They're the most popular team in their country. And, but, but they, you know, they were well aware of what people said. They knew that their media at home, people like me wrote, I don't know if they can win again. Uh, I, I think other teams have caught up because, you know, I'm such a smart soccer writer. I, I, I made predictions <laughs> like that <laughs> and, and I wasn't alone. And, and they knew, they knew which one of us had said it. And, and they, they asked us about it in an interview and kind of pushed back on it. They knew that, they're the defending world champions. And I just remember watching them practice one time and, and, and Carly Lloyd, who uh, is about as ferocious a competitor as I've ever seen in person, just screaming, everybody wants to beat us. She, she, <laughs> she may have used some more colorful language. <laughs> Everyone wants to beat us. Everyone wants to beat us. So like, you know, there's just kind of a, a way that you can approach expectations. And I think it's interesting. I was kind of happy to hear Mike White say, if he could do it all over again, he would have he would have done that differently because i think that's good and i think it would be it'll be it'll be helpful for yeah, Florida it, i mean year. it's funny you mention it because he really does have the chance to do it again like i like i mean these players are back like it's <laughs> it's crazy like if you would have right uh, if if you if you would have said hey do you think you'll have the chance to to coach scotty for another year or uh you know hey do you think if keontae johnson has a season like this do you think he's you're going to be able to coach him again he probably wouldn't have <laughs> I thought that was the case. So this is hopefully just like truly exciting for him. And uh, I'm sure that the coaching staff was as much as they didn't, they tried not to to look at what a lot of media was saying. Um, I, I'm sure the season was, I'm sure it's a lot of it got to them still. And I'm sure it wasn't always super joyful for them. And I, I do really hope that the coaching staff is feeling some excitement right now and some joy. And, uh, and I think it would be, be warranted. And yeah, it will be interesting if, you know, if, if he does a total switch, I'm just imagining one day Mike White being like, yeah, there's this like idiot from Canada who wrote some analytics piece that I think is trash. <laughs> like, I, well, I don't think he'll go too far the other way, but uh, yeah, it's, it's just interesting after him talking about uh, getting the, if he had the chance to do it again, what do you change? Cause he really gets the chance to do it again. And that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, no, it's a little different <laughs> than like Alex Morgan telling me that that she like she knows I said they were gonna lose, right? <laughs> That'd be a horrifying thing to have to have her say that to fan. I'm sure you, I'm sure you handled better than I would. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, you think we're losing to France in the quarterfinal, huh? Good to see you too, Neil. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, it's just we'll see how they how they do it. Listener questions. Tanner Lefever kicks us off. Says. If you're taking questions, we're always taking questions. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on KJ Deruji at the 4-5 for select stretches. I don't know if White has any history of that, but those two rebound well enough to make that work. I just can't see any of Payne, Osifo, Jatobo playing together often, if at all. 
that's a good, that's an interesting point. I mean, uh, one thing that's interesting is that, uh, so when, when, when Mike White was at Louisiana tech, he had a center named Michael Kaiser who was six foot 10 and like an absurd athlete. Like, like if Anthony Deruji was three <laughs> inches taller, like, uh, he was, and yeah. I think he was like a two or three year starter. Like when I think of like, uh, the, the Louisiana tech teams with Mike White, it was like, I just like imagine Michael Kaiser. So maybe he didn't start as many games as I thought, but like, uh, he had him for, for a bunch of seasons. And, uh, yeah, and he was, a uh, he was a, you know, he, he wasn't super, uh, he was, you know, he was a skinnier guy, but he was six foot 10 and extremely athletic. So, uh, what I'm getting at is he's actually had like a really, you know, a traditional center, uh, with a lot of his teams. He had Michael Kaiser. He comes to Florida. He has, uh, he has a Bunu, He has Kavarius Hayes. He has Kerry Blackshear. So, uh, as much as like, there's always this, you know, Florida doesn't have bigs and Mike White can't develop bigs, even though like Michael Kaiser ended up playing in the G league. And I think he, he was on the, I mean, he was with Toronto's team for bed. I don't know if he ever got to, got into uh you know, sat on the bench for an NBA game. He also played in the Canadian elite basketball league where he just dunked all over everyone. So I got to see Michael Kaiser play this last summer. It was incredible. <laughs> the man is a, an absurd athlete, an abs- absurd athlete. So yeah, it's just interesting that, you know, white has always had, uh, uh, centers with length and, and size. So, uh, but at the same time, I look at Dereji and he's six foot seven and he's strong and he's got a long wingspan and he's got a great vertical leap. And I think like, Hey, there's going to be some other teams like Florida saw teams in the sec. They saw some really big centers. They also saw some centers that were, you know, six, eight and two twenty five. So uh, if you're playing a team that has a center that's six, eight and two twenty five, and you've got six foot seven, like two fifteen or two twenty Dereji. I mean, it's not like he's, that outsized and uh, uh so i would say yeah why not yeah no it's a, it's an interesting question i'm not gonna to build on uh much of that too much much of eric's answer too much i think it's it's a really good answer one thing i'll i'll go deep into the history book somewhat and and just say that there's a show on the called the basketball podcast where they, they talk to a lot of coaches and they had a, a jay Wright interview uh, some time ago and they were asking about some of his favorite teams to coach. And he said one of his favorite teams to coach was the 2005-06 team, Eric, uh, which lost to Florida in the Elite Eight, actually. And um, the team had Randy Foy. Uh, it had Alan Ray, Kyle Lowry, uh, Dante Cunningham, who all played in the NBA. Um, but, but Cunningham didn't play much. He was young. So mainly they played Foy, Ray, and Lowry, who were all kind of – I guess Foy was probably 6'4", but he wasn't much more than that. Um, and then a guy named Mike Nardi. He played basically they played four guards, and then they had this center named Jason Frazier, who was listed at 6'10", but was definitely not 6'10". Mm. Like, he was just 6'8", and could jump out of his shoes. And so, like, you know, there is, with, with all the wings and athletes that Florida has, um, you know, I guess there's a scenario where they could do some small ball. I just don't know if they have the shooters that that Villanova team had to kind of. Uh, well, I mean, uh, so let's say let's say it's like Andrew Nemhart, Scotty Lewis at the two, Samson Uzensev at the three, Deontay Johnson at the four, and and Deruji at the five. Uh, I, I mean, that's uh, that's long across every other position, which would make up for you know a little bit of a uh, little less size. But yeah, like uh, I and you think about like uh, you know Scotty Lewis, he shot the ball well at the the end of last season. Um, it's weird. Like, I, I kind of feel like I'm still not like a huge believer in him as a great shooter, but like he also shot the ball well for like a lot of conference seasons. So I probably should 
probably should uh, <laughs> think Hybram is a shooter, but and I mean, well, it'll be up to like, hey, does does Nemhart start to catch and shoot the ball like he did as a freshman, or something close to those like absurd numbers he had, uh, or somewhere between that and what he did last year? Is Lewis a good shooter? Is is would Rusensev be kind of what? Uh, uh, what we think he's going to be as a shooter. And uh, Drew G was someone who shot the ball really well on a low number of t- attempts as a freshman. And then he was like uh, just a bl- slightly below average shooter as, uh, as a sophomore. So, uh, but Hey, like if he can be a 34 or 35% three point shooter and he's someone you <laughs> roll out at the, the five, I mean, uh, yeah, they could, they could do some interesting shooting things, but I, I really do think if you get uh, like Rusensev at the three and, and Scotty Lewis at the two and, uh, and Nemhard at the one. I mean, if you're rocking length at every other position, I, I it, it honestly like would be like Florida's playing small ball, but like wouldn't even be that small. Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good argument. Um, CLT Gator, we'll do his, and then we'll get to Eric's. Um, we seem to have some depth this year. Smiley face may have the same starting four if Nemhard comes back. If he does, do you go mad scientist on the new starting five and sit lock? And start one of the two transfers, or do you keep the same four and add only one, or do you think that the lineup may look drastically different and start from scratch? I, I, I mean, I think I think Noah Locke's going to start. I mean, he led the SEC in three point shooting. Um, you know, I I just don't see them making that significant change. What I will say is, I think his minutes will be down, uh, and then I think it's a real dogfight for those minutes. You know, I mean, Trey Mann, does he continue to develop the way that, that he did late in the year? Um, what happens to Quez Glover's minutes? What happens, you know, how much does Samson Resensev get on the floor? What's the role that they're going to carve out for Niels Lane, if any, as a freshman? Uh, I think all these are, are pretty fair questions. But the return of Scotty Lewis, as we said it would on the last podcast, change things. And now the return of Keontae Johnson creates even more interesting lineup combinations and permutations. I still think all of those involve Noah Locke. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I said this, I think, on the Scotty Lewis podcast, but uh, if there's a player that I would take out of the starting lineup, I, which I'm not – I don't think the team would do this, but if, to me it would be Scotty Lewis coming out. Um, just looking at the numbers that uh, – Right. Uh, that when he was – his on-off numbers just, like, weren't weren't always super flattering, and I'm not saying that that means he's a bad player or anything. <laughs> But I just think Noah Locke's shooting is, is just so important. And uh, I, I do think that the, te- that the team is probably going to start with the four starters from last year with, you know, who Omar Payne or Jason Jacobo at the five. Uh, but, I mean, Florida's problem offensively for the last two years, uh, I know their offense was much better last year, but when it was not as great, uh, the problem was that they just didn't have enough creators off the dribble. Uh, they didn't have enough kind of individual playmaking. Uh, there's definitely an opportunity that exists that if they still return this, go with the same starting four plus pain, uh, that there's still going to be a problem at times with not enough individual shot creation. So, and I, I know that like, Hey, you hope obviously Nemhart returning get better and you hope that Noah Locke gets better and Scotty Lewis gets better. And, uh, and maybe one of those guys turns into someone who can be a little bit more of a creator. Uh, but I mean, you just look at some of the, some games last year where Florida just did not have enough shot creation and you say like, Hey, if they run it back with those same, same four guys at the one to four spots, uh, yeah, I could see there being situations where, uh, they just don't have enough creation. And in that scenario, I would take out Scotty Lewis and I would put in Tyree Appleby and, uh, and play, you know, the, the three guards play, 
uh, play Nemhard, play Appleby, and, and play Locke. But I, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Awesome. You, I know you have. We did have some questions, questions that were sent to me. Um, uh, Jake Overwater asked. Yeah, you said Quez Glover isn't a good passer, but I remember him having quite a few nice assists in high school on YouTube, and I also remember from the season having great passes. Uh, so, uh, I'm not sure. Like, uh, I guess the question is, are you sure he, Quez Glover isn't a great passer? Uh, it actually got me to to go back and, and watch some of his uh, his offensive possessions, uh, and uh, I, I, one thing that I did notice where he had some of his nice assists, uh, or even like just a lot of his assists, uh, were him having to leave his feet to get passing angles and and twisting his body and contorting a little bit. And while that showed some 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 vision and athleticism uh, uh it's just a dangerous play way to play basketball and i think that we saw that in his turnover problems where he left his feet too early got hung up in the air uh made some problems there but uh uh neil what are your thoughts on on quez lever as a passer well quest quest <laughs> doesn't get cheated right uh he 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 had a shot uh up on 23.7 percent of his possessions which led the team um so, so he doesn't get he doesn't get cheated on on shooting, you know. To beat Kerry Blacks here in that number, uh, I thought was, <laughs> was was pretty remarkable. Um, and then you know he, he far and away led the team in turnover rate, and and a lot of that wasn't just you know Baylor game stuff where he got blitzed and you know dribbled the ball off his foot or something. It uh, you know a lot of it was was errant passes. Uh, so, so I, I'm not going to say that he can't become a good passer, uh, you know, but I think when you have a 26.4% turnover rate and you have that, despite the fact you're shooting on 24% of your touches, uh, that's 50% of the possessions you're on the floor. You're either taking that's the shot a or point. turning the ball over. So, um, you know, you got to get better at passing. With that uh, Lee asked what opponent you, you'd most like to see Florida add to their non-conference schedule. Oh, interesting. Uh, Arizona. <laughs> and why is that? Because I want to beat Will Wade <laughs> and Sean. Yes, Bill. Florida could just go on the scheme tour. <laughs> HBO followed the football team. I, I mean, hey, they could have the American following the, uh, the basketball team. The American game. Uh, yeah, before. that's a good one. I, I, I Yeah, I, I might say, I, I mean, I think I said this. Someone asked the same question, I think, last year before. And, and I think I said Memphis just because it was, like, cool yeah. and, like, exciting that Memphis was turning things around. I, I think I'll just say Memphis again. And, and also it would be cool, yeah. like, uh, especially if, let's, let's say, in my dream world that Memphis came to Florida. Uh, I'd have Mike Miller come back. They could honor him. I think that would be cool. Uh, and I think it would just be, you know, it's a team that would be – have a good chance to really, like, do well in their league. But Florida could – likely win uh, just because Memphis would be young and that if you play them in the non-conference, it's, it's early in the season. So uh, I think I like Florida's chances there. So I, I would say Memphis, I didn't put too much thought into that though. I kind of want to mm. go to the McHale center too. Like I'll go out to the desert. That'd be fun. And, and there's a lot of good stuff to do in Tucson and a lot of good food. And uh, with Nico Mannion and, and Josh Green gone, I don't know what I'm sure that they've, I'm sure they have the best freshman class yeah, they, can buy coming in. But, um, yeah, I think I think he, I think he did. Uh, just because, like, I I was gonna say, like, I, I actually <laughs> I have to check. I I don't think I don't think that they the have much for a class. I they are they are piecing to things together. 
okay. uh, in the transfer uh, market, and like they are getting some some atypical uh, uh, transfers. So I I I don't think that they have. I, I have to look it up, but uh, I I don't think that they're going to be very good this year. So it would be well, I I guess I should say, but like uh, they, I I've just seen on Twitter a few times where it's just been like dudes that I have no I've never heard of didn't hear them hitting the market uh, and I saw like the other yeah so they're they're the 44th ranked class in 2020 so that is a big big drop off from uh uh, uh they have James Akinjo though that's okay getting, I, I if he can get a waiver or at least he'll be in for, from Georgetown but uh this would be the year to go and uh to go to McHale one of the uh one of the historically good uh or great yeah courts, I should say so that's a <laughs> that's a good it is. It's a. It's a. No. It's a great home court. You know, I love watching games there. It's loud. It's always full. Great basketball school. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. Like Miller was one of the guys that that people kind of lamented about White, but but White has a better record at Florida and than than Miller does. And uh, and you know, for all that talent, they have three guys going and two that might be in the lottery, Eric and and certainly one that will be in the lottery and, and uh, you know, what were they 20 and 11 one win better. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, it'd, be, it'd be kind of fun. It'd be, that'd be a fun. Yeah, no, a it's, fun uh, it's always question. fun. I wasn't expecting the Arizona uh, answer from you as well, which uh, though it, uh, though it makes sense, but I, that wasn't what I was expecting. So that's, <laughs> uh, that's what's really good. And I like that you had a, uh, 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 I, I like also that you had uh uh, not a not a typical. Or sorry, you had a, and you had a road game, and I said I, who who I'd want to bring into Gainesville. So that's good. Um, I was also going to say that they because Arizona's only one good recruit was Dalen Terry, who was one of those guys that was like uh, thought that was going to take that G League offer, uh, and I mean apparently he said no, but uh, uh, the offseason mm-hmm. is young, and uh, if he sees what Arizona's looking like, that could really change uh, change what he wants to do. Uh, this next question is uh, I'm going to say uh, geared towards me, Neil. Um, Liam asks, what was the year end floater count for Florida? And, uh, I'm surprised I haven't just like actually wedged it in my <laughs> myself, but, uh, uh, because, uh, obviously it was something I brought up lots. Uh, so Florida's, uh, floater count, they were, uh, so they shot 32.2% on the, the season. So 0.65 points per possession. Uh, yeah, 32% on floaters. Um, so, uh, you might be thinking to yourself, Wow, they shot thirty-two percent on floaters. Uh, that's really poor. That's uh, that's not a very good number. Uh, well, actually, I'll let you know. I'll let you know that the league average in Division <laughs> that's pretty One good. was thirty-five point one percent on floaters. So, uh, so that is okay. why I'm not a big fan of the floater because uh, because you know you remember and you say, hey, Florida must be pretty bad, and really they were almost accurate. And uh, one of the reasons I don't like a floater is because it's uh, it's a terrible way to draw fouls when attacking the basket. Uh, Florida went to the line on 1.7 percent yeah. of their of their uh, floater attempts, so uh, that might be twice. Like they attempted 115 floaters on the year, so uh, yeah, twice. I I would assume that 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 math would work out. Twice they went to the free throw line. Um, uh, Neil, any floater thoughts yeah, before I get to, that's uh, about to right. one more question? <laughs> Like I said, that no, was probably no. geared towards me. Let's, let's uh, well, I think on. this one might be geared to, more towards you. Dan Walters asks, what SEC football coach would you like to take over the basketball program? Uh, I'm assuming that means like their team's basketball program. Uh, which which <laughs> SEC coach, football coach, would you like to uh, to flip and see coach basketball? Uh, man, this is a tough one. Well, you know what? I'm I'm going to cop out and just go with a tweet that I sent a few weeks ago. Um, when we were still 
allowed to leave our houses and <clears throat> we were all watching basketball and, and anticipating March Madness. And, and I would say uh, I'd love to see Ed Ogeron coach the LSU basketball program because in one day, as soon as they made the move, you would have like the night and day switch of like all that is wrong with the myth of amateur athletics and like everything good about amateur athletics. <laughs> Like just a total role reversal in 24 hours. So give me Coach O. Um, plus, like, could you just imagine Coach O after like a March Madness buzzer buzzer beater? Like, you think he's excitable now? Holy cow! Uh, just like him hugging like a Skylar Mays after Skylar hit like a big shot to win a game, and then just the I know Scott was gonna do it. Go Tigers. Interview would be just um, yeah, like <laughs> I, uh, that, that. I mean, go Tigers. He would be the best. Like, can you imagine <laughs> even uh, him on a basketball sideline, just like yelling across the, like hearing the sound of his voice. Uh, that I mean, that was definitely the case. I'll say, uh, I'll, I'll give a caveat. I mean, I'm I am so a basketball first guy. Um, I, I really do love Florida football, and, and I follow that closely. But I only really started maybe three or four years ago. But I, I now religiously listen to uh, to our friends at Gators Breakdown. I love uh, Will Miles. I love the stadium and Gale guys. Listen to them all. So I so I definitely learned a lot more about about football. But uh, you know, full disclosure, I am pretty sure with a gun to my head, I couldn't even name sure. all the SEC football head coaches. To be honest with you, so uh, uh, I, I think I can get most of them, but I but I'm definitely not <laughs> enough of a football. So as soon as I saw the question, I'm like, oh, it's got to be Ed Orgeron, just because I'd love to hear him talk it. Can you imagine this the conversation, like just the quick the quick post game between uh, Mike White and Ed Orgeron? It would just the contrast in, in vocal timbre would just be uh, it, it would be something to behold. So uh, yeah, I, I, I'm glad I'm glad you had that answer too. Yeah, and, and the flip of that, because I, I love the question, the flip side of that for me would be Bruce Pearl. Like, I'd, I'd, love, to, I'd love to see oh, Bruce that, Pearl. that would be good, too. And I mean, program. yeah, I, that's a good question. I didn't think about the, the reverse. I was also going to say, I think that there would be a lot of uh, football fans who would be very happy to not have to play against Ed Orgeron as the football coach. Uh, it seems... <laughs> yeah, or to not have to play against Bruce too. Pearl as the uh, basketball coach. Uh, oh, man, the... Uh, Hmm. Yeah, I do think that. Like, I mean, you could think about like Frank Martin is your typical like kind of like tough guy, tough guy football coach. But uh, uh, first, sure. yeah, for I sure. mean, it's it's pretty tough. The, the the toughest to imagine to be Brady Oates. He just doesn't have the uh, the football coach look. Uh, I I mean, honestly, the the biggest like football coach look <laughs> might be Will Wade. He's kind of got like I could see him in the could see him with the headset on and. Uh, whereas, like you know, like uh, like Mike White, Nate Oates, Eric Musselman, uh, some of the some of the younger yeah. guys, it just I, I don't know, I I, I, don't, I don't see it as much. So so, but but Bruce Pearl's a Bruce Pearl's a pretty good answer. I could see him doing his like kind of sideline shuffle as the line judges, you know, go from five yards side to side with the play, and he's kind of chasing them to get in their ear. I, I could see. That. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And Will Wade, Will Wade cuts his own hair like Kirby Smart, so he would work. And and I think. Uh, it, well, Quanzo, Quanzo is the other guy who who kind of has that. Mm. He's got that football, that mean, imposing. You know, Quanzo's not really like a head coach though. Like he looks more like a defensive coordinator or like a linebackers coach, just like the guy you don't want to get in the way of. And like if you spend too long at the Gatorade, you know, he, he he's gonna rip India pretty good. That's Quanzo. So, um, these are important questions. 
These are, and I, I'm thinking too, like I think about some of the assistants in the SEC, and I feel like a lot of the assistants in the SEC really look like look like, like football Al coaches and coordinators. <laughs> yeah, Al Pingens does, but also like like Darius Nichols and, and Jordan Mincy, those are absolutely basketball coaches. So um, it's and Mike White's the same way. So it's 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 good to have the one one football looking dude on the on the coaching staff. But uh, uh, but generally, I mean, I, I think when they come off the plane, uh, no one doubts what uh, what sport it is. Those guys, like I just cannot imagine. Uh, cannot imagine a uh, Mincy and Nichols being, being, I mean, maybe they, maybe they could be, I'm sure they could be great football coaches if they, they wanted to, but uh, uh, you, you know, I think like you look at like uh, the Tennessee assistants and the, the Kentucky assistants and like, you could just see them in those big oversized kind of windbreakers, just like uh, talking into a clipboard on the sideline. Yeah, no, I agree. Last listener question. And then, then we'll uh, get ready to wrap up, but, but C3 Mark ST C3 on Twitter wants to know uh, which newcomer makes the biggest impact with Johnson's return. Does that change your assessment? And for me, no, I still think Samson Resensev is going to make the biggest impact of the fresh newcomers. Um, if you want to know which newcomer makes the biggest impact of all the newcomers, including the one in the sit one transfers, I, I, I think my take on that is that it's going to be uh, Tyree Appleby, but I'm interested in Eric's kind of response to that. Cause I know he's going to say Resensev too. Yeah, well, to me, if you look at all the the newcoming players, it, it is Tyree Appleby. Uh, I think that talent-wise, uh, he's just you know you get a, a fourth-year <laughs> player like that, you could you you look at either Appleby or or Daruji over. Uh, or, you know, I love Samson Rusensev out of the freshman. I think he's the most impactful out, out of this class. If you even want to add uh, Osifo, uh, but I also think not only do I really love Appleby's game, but he's definitely the most unique skill set on the roster. Uh, versus someone like Rusensev, which uh, uh, still, like, I mean, his ability to score would make him very different, I would say, than, than Scotty Lewis, uh, who just doesn't have those offensive instincts at the moment. But, hey, we'll see next year. Uh, but I think, you know, Appleby's ability to score off the dribble and, uh, it, you, know, you know, you'd like to see that from Train that next season, and we very well could. I, I'm expecting him to take a big step. Uh, but I still think that Appleby probably kind of stands alone as, as the most unique skill set where the Gators don't have a lot of players similar to him. Uh, but uh, hey, it might uh, it might be tough to to see where he gets a ton of minutes at the, the guard spots. But uh, uh, it's tough to look at a lot of the newcomers and say like where they're gonna really get a ton of minutes. So so Appleby would be my answer. Yep, I like it. Uh, so I want to do this briefly before we wrap the show. You know, we've been we've been having this this Florida basketball hour, greatest men's player of all time. Um, tournament it's been a lot of fun there's actually been less like really close down to the wire votes than i than i i kind of hoped there would be some more drama uh we actually have drama in one of the regional finals right now um so like some some like back and forth politicking between like people who know both players is going on which is really interesting um but the elite eight ended up being almost not that surprising eric uh with with joe kim noah Corey Brewer, Al Horford, the, the three representatives from, from the O-Force, uh, Torian Green lost in the second round. Um, and then Mike Miller uh, to the Elite Eight, Scotty Wilbekin uh, to the Elite Eight, um, no, Neil Walk uh, to the Elite Eight, Andrew Moten uh, went to the Elite Eight, uh, and then Matt Bonner. And really, to me, the only real surprising character, uh, and I, I say character on purpose, uh, in the in the elite eight is is Matt Bonner, who 
had one of the greatest retirements of all time. Uh, his, his retirement video, the the empty press conference, um, <laughs> the empty press conference Twitter video, uh, the, the 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 great nickname Red Mamba, uh, just an absolute assassin from the three point line in the NBA. And I, I really think people just got carried away with like the fact that he ended up being like this kind of crucial role player in the Spurs dynasty. Um, that really was the only way to explain how he ended up in the elite eight. <laughs> but the other seven made total sense to me, including Scotty Willbuckets, who like I could have seen Scotty losing in the second round too. But like I get it, I get it. Uh, so that did you have any thoughts on like? wild players that, that didn't get to the elite. I know Brad Beal got mentioned a lot because he lost in the first round and people thought I seated him wrong or, or that we seated him wrong. Not, I don't, not Eric. Eric wasn't involved in seating, but a couple other people were, um, you know, anyway, it, it, it was interesting. Right. I, I mean, I'll say that I thought it was seated well, I, and it's tough to do. And I'm, I, that's like, I didn't have too many of my takes out there. So it's kind of a dangerous argument because, because truthfully, <laughs> I, I am someone of the mindset that when you look back at, at some of the older players in, in, in basketball, I I think the game has gone a lot, come a long way. I'll I'll say that as well. yeah, so, right, to, right. so to compare players based on who is like better or, or more talented or who would win in a one on one game or a team game, uh, I'm going to favor the modern player, and I know that, that is not always very popular in some basketball circles. However, in a scenario like this where it's like you know who's the greatest Gator, it gets into that scenario of of uh, you know accomplishments with Florida and does you know does that overcome uh, you know a player that's maybe more talented in the modern era versus someone who uh, had was more had more accolades but uh, back in the day so uh, you know it's, you kind of see why Brad Beal lost and and it's you know it's unfortunate but I can kind of see why because it's going to be tough for any kind of one and done player to right. to really have those those kind of accolades that put you up against some of the other great Gators but uh, so I do actually think it was it was seated fairly and. Uh, especially Kavarius Hayes, who some people thought was, you know, seated too high for, for uh, false reasoning. I thought he was right where he needed to be, but uh, it, it was kind of funny because it's kind of like the NCAA tournament where, you know, you think about all these upsets and, and it, victories you don't kind of expect, but when it comes down to the lead eight, it's mostly guys that you were expecting to be there. So there's yeah, some losses right. early that were, uh, that, you know, I wasn't quite, uh, quite anticipating, but uh, you know, you look at the, you look at the, the last eight players remaining and it's uh, yeah, it's mostly what you think. And if it's going to be a player that's a wild card, uh, it's kind of nice that it's map honor, you know? So why, why, why not? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Why not? Maybe in the spirit of like, you know, having the best, play, uh, best player winning uh, uh, or, and who did, who did Matt Bonner, Bonner knock out actually in the, the last round? Do you recall? Uh, I mean, Matt, so Matt Bonner, Matt Bonner beat Andy Owens in his first round matchup, and Andy Owens averaged 27 points and 11 rebounds before the three-pointer. Mm. Um, so that's a thing that happened. And then, and then he beat his teammate, Brett Nelson, uh, the head coach of Holy Cross. Um, and, and I didn't even think that was that much of an upset. Like I was kind of like, all right, that kind of makes sense. Like Nelson was better most his career, but not at the end of it. So like that that made some sense, but but Matt Bonner beating Eddie Shannon. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, in the Sweet Sixteen, the the assistant head coach at, at Quinnipiac, um, <laughs> that was ridiculous. Like Eddie Shannon was the best player on three of the four teams that he played on, uh, and and he was the lone McDonald's All American on the early Donovan teams, uh, and and you know. Willed 
an early Billy Donovan team to the Sweet 16. Just willed them on his back. <laughs> so just totally crazy for him to, to lose to Matt Bonner, but recency bias, I guess. And, and also, like, people just remember Red Mamba because the Spurs. Yeah, th- th- I was going to say, I, I, like, I made it uh... – uh, yeah, I, I made it the uh, – I was like, you know what? Hey, like, it's kind of – like, at least there's Matt Bonner. But then I remember he beat Ed Shannon. I was like, oh, I don't like that as much, actually. But I guess that's <laughs> how it works. Again, the, uh, you're going to have to beat someone you probably shouldn't. But, uh, uh, yeah, that, that was that was rough for Eddie Shannon. He, if, if only there was some wild card type system. But, unfortunately, uh, the, the NCAA tournament <laughs> hasn't quite gotten to that point. But, uh, but yeah, it is tough to balance those, uh, you know, accomplishments versus, like, you know, I guess skill or, or whatever. But, uh, but it's fun to do. And uh, – uh, I, I do want one comment from you. I know you're trying to get out of here, Neil, but I want uh, no, I good. want your comment on uh, uh, on one of the more uh, divisive players in the bracket, uh, Torian Green. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Because I know some people were uh, uh, some people were kind of using this as an opportunity to uh, uh, to not vote for him and suggest that he was. Uh, uh, I, I mean, I don't think anyone said he was overrated. Well, people implied it, so I, I'm just interested in your people opinion. definitely people definitely implied it, and and I was. I'll be honest, I was a little stunned because, I mean, his, his assist to turnover ratio is one of the five best in school history. So, because I went back and looked at it, I was like, did I do something wrong here by seeding him as like a nine and putting, or an eight and putting Lee Humphrey as an 11? Was like, I like mean to, to Lee Humphrey? And, or, you know, did the committee get that wrong? And, and the, the three of us that were involved in seeding kind of DM back and forth about it. And, and yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't, you know, in addition to being the starting point guard for two national champions, um, you know, he, he had that assisted turnover number. And, and the other thing is like, if you watched the NCAA tournament games, Torian was like lethal on that. Oh, they're not going to come out and guard me. All right. I'm just going to drain a three. Like he could hit that shot, that little pull up off the dribble. Uh, and I, and in fact, did hit one of them in the national title game. That was just an absolute dagger. Uh, so it, I didn't think that that he was seated improperly at all. Did you? Uh, no, I didn't. I like I said, I really did actually think the seating was really good. There was nothing that struck me as something I would change, uh, other than like I was thinking like, oh, maybe like maybe we should have known that Matt Bonner was gonna be this like he was gonna get voted through regardless. So <laughs> maybe you should have just way overseated him anyways. Right, so, but uh, but that would have actually you know that would have ruined the integrity of it. So uh, so, but I think very well done to the uh, the selection committee and, and ranking committee. Uh, uh, it, was, it was good. So uh, which I didn't actually mean to set you up for this, Neil, but we should mention that uh, uh, yes, still planning on doing the uh, the national championship uh, watch podcast yes. at some point. Just uh, couldn't get to it yeah. last week, and uh, uh, and then some you know some players also you know decided they'd come back to Florida. We needed to talk about this, <laughs> but uh, I, I will actually say though I've now seen that. Uh, uh, the like official like NCAA, I think it's like NCAA March Madness or something is their their YouTube profile name. But they they have put like the official kind of game tape on on YouTube, so they're super easy to watch. Um, if you haven't yet already watched uh, watch the Ohio State uh, game, and uh, so yeah, that's there, and it's like they're like an hour and like fifteen minutes or an hour and twenty minutes, just because they're like perfectly edited, like obviously commercials and and all that. So it's uh, it's a really good watch because uh, but yeah, yeah, it's super well optimized to watch on YouTube. So. So yeah, yeah, if you haven't watched that game recently, definitely give it a rewatch. And sometime me and Neil will get to uh, get to that game and then the uh, the UCLA game and another time too for uh, for some good watching. And then uh, then the people who uh, you know, I guess we can talk Torian Green again because uh, yeah, I do think he was the one. Like, I, well, I didn't look at all the mentions, and I'm, 
I'm sure, you know, you have to go through a whole lot of seating questions, but the only ones I really saw as like really divisive as a player was, was some people that, um, uh, that thought that, uh, thought not, and it was, sorry, when I mentioned that, that Torian Green is overrated, I didn't even mean in, I mean, I'm sure some people thought that you overseeded him, but just the people that used this as the time to say like, he was overrated as a player in a Gator. There was some, uh, there were some hot takes being thrown out. So, uh, there were discuss that too after the the championship games. There really were, and and you know it's going to be inter- the final four is going to be interesting. Like I'm kind of I don't want to say I'm irritated that Corey Brewer's in the final four. I'm not at all irritated. I get it. I don't think he's one of the best four players in Florida basketball history, but but I get it. Um, and and he will be in the final four. His lead over Scotty Wilson. We could call that race if it were an election. So the the final four will be uh, Joe Kim, Noah, Neil Walk. Um. Corey Brewer, and then we wait on the Mike Miller Al Horford final, which is pretty close. Uh, Miller led most of the day. Horford has taken the lead. Miller's making a little bit of a charge now. It's kind of interesting. But so that would set up um, the, 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 the semifinal matchups would be Neil Walk versus um, Al Horford, and then it would be Corey Brewer versus Joe Kim Noah. So you could get Horford Noah in the final. <laughs> uh, that's kind of how I, yeah. I, that's kind of how I see it going down. That's how actually. I see it going down. And, uh, <laughs> I think I could, you know, I think I have a guess about who would win in that finals. But I think uh, we'll Joe, see. I think Joe Kim's going to be tough to beat. It's going to be tough. Yeah, I mean, he has Matt Bonner charm with. Joakim Noah skills, so, right, <laughs> right. Uh, and obviously accomplishments. So that that'll be an interesting one. But uh, uh, yes, the uh, I will say that the uh, the closeness of Mike Miller versus Al Horford uh, was not something I would have expected. Maybe we should close with with just asking Eric because Eric's such a, an NBA, you know, he's so knowledgeable about the NBA. Like, explain to our listeners that might not follow the NBA, like how good was Joakim Noah in the NBA? Because I don't think people realize just how good he was until the injuries. Well, I mean, the one thing that was uh, that was really interesting for Joakim Noah was like he had the really swift fall from, uh, like, uh, like when he kind of like a lot of players obviously have like a bit of a slow uh, a slow decrease when it comes to the close of their NBA careers, especially for a player like him that had a long one, uh, where he actually just had a uh, uh, like a really swift kind of uh, drop from the league, and I think that that's what really has hurt his. Uh, uh, kind of where he was at because uh, what was like kind of insane was like in 2014, he finished fourth in MVP voting in 2014. And then like two <laughs> years later, he was like almost out of the league due to injury. So I would say like, uh, I, I, okay, so that was 2014. So that would be, he would have been behind uh, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, and I believe Blake Griffin. Was so, that the year he was NBA defensive player of the yeah, year? Yeah, he was defensive player of the year, yeah. I, uh, that year. So, uh, so <laughs> he was, you know, reasonably in the conversation uh not too far behind kevin durant lebron james and blake griffins and that was 2014 which i know like in a way like might feel a long time ago to some people that's crazy but it also was like not that long like it, right. it was not that long before the injuries got to him and he fell out um he also got involved with the knicks and that's always uh, uh that's Never where a lot choice. of players have, have gone to die in the last decade <laughs> but uh but yeah i, I will say like uh, and you look at uh, you look at the Chicago Bulls when they were they put together like a multiple year stretch run of of really good basketball. It was because of their defense, and uh, that was obviously because uh, Joakim Noah was kind of running things. That he also found a way to be really effective offensively as a passer. 
uh, even though he obviously never had the jump shot, never was a great finisher on the rim, but uh, just really worked uh, defensively, was a really good rebounder, and uh, yeah, and found a way to you know put up points at a decent rate. But I, that that would be the biggest thing I, I think I would say to someone who um, maybe doesn't fully understand the impact he has uh, was yeah he was fourth he was fourth place in an MVP conversation uh, with Kevin Durant, LeBron James, and Blake Griffin. So uh, it, it, which like you know like. I, Al Horford's had the longer career. He's still playing basketball. Like, Six-time All-Star. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, you know, Horford was never in, in kind of that conversation. Right. He'd never been in an MVP conversation. So no. uh, that's for so, – so people can kind of think of that where Noah had that kind of consistent run, not as long as Horford's. He's been, like, so consistent for so long. But uh, he put together a lot of consistent years that culminated with uh, uh, being in the MVP conversation. And, and I'm actually going to vote for – if it is that, I'll vote for Horford. Uh, over Noah and and uh, the main reason would just be three-year impact versus two-year impact for me but 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 yeah I mean it's interesting like even even there you know and and that's that's kind of it's funny that that was the deal in college because that's kind of what it was in the pro like the ceiling of Joe Kim Noah you know that soft that late sophomore year late junior year college Joe Kim Noah that was just a force you know, I don't know if Al was ever that dominant, but but still, like I said, six NBA All Star games. John Hollinger, longtime guy, basketball analyst, works for ESPN forever. You know, he puts he puts Horford as like a fringe Hall of Famer. His numbers are actually comparable to some guys that are in the Hall of Fame. You know, I don't know if he gets there without a ring, but it, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting uh, discussion and certainly a worthy final. If your program has two guys like that. Uh, you've probably done some pretty good things on basketball courts. Yeah, it's a tough one for me if it comes down to that, just because, you know, uh, like, I'll be honest, like, I, I didn't watch a ton of games back then because not a lot of them were on TV. Those, uh, like I mentioned on the podcast, it was uh, 13-year-old Eric watching on Saturdays, watching the SEC games. So, <laughs> so, you know, I caught some games, but I was also, like, 13 and, you know, didn't know much about basketball back then. Uh, so it's uh, – I kind of feel like I'm going to have to go on the numbers uh, a little bit more because uh, – yeah, uh, much like because you know I wasn't able to watch Neil Walker sadly, uh, so uh, or a lot of the other guys at the uh, at the top of the the seating. So uh, I'll have to go on the numbers and, and see a little bit. But uh, off the top of my head, I'm not really sure who I will vote for. But it'll be interesting because it might be a, like a little bit of what you said, a little longevity, like three seasons of uh, production versus versus two. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it looks like it might be uh, you know big man you here with uh, with the final four. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So. That's our show tonight. <clears throat> We're going to do those national championship pods. I don't know uh, when Andrew Nimhard will, will announce. We we don't have any kind of insight on that. At least I don't. And, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do a reaction when, he, when, when, when we get something from Andrew. But thanks, everybody, for listening. Stay well. Stay healthy. Um, bye, everybody.